well, who am I to preach this sermon when my big fat mouth has gotten me in trouble after trouble after trouble? But you'll be gracious, right? Pine Lake Church invited Susan and I to a conference to attend a church planter slash pastor's conference, uh, which we did this past week. Didn't John Wood do a great job in my place of closing out our paradox? Yeah. He did so good, we won't be hearing from him for a long, long time, but um, that's what happens. Do a mediocre job, you'll get a lot of shots. But we were at, uh, out west, it was, it was cool. When, when they asked us, it was about a year ago, they said, hey, you want to be a part of this conference? And I said, you know, where's it going to be? They said, San Diego. And I said, let me pray about it, I'll go. It was a great, a great, great trip, great for us to get away and to be with other like-minded people, uh, men and women doing what we've done here, doing it different places. We sat around a conference table at the Marriott Mission Beach Resort, and our first assignment was each, each pastor was asked four questions. How's your family? What's something you're celebrating? What's a struggle? And then where do you need a breakthrough? And before each guy spoke, they had us turn to the screen. And on the screen, whether you were Chad and Katie uh, with Echo Church in Indianapolis or... Um, Eric and his wife in New Brunsville, Texas, or Susan and I here, uh, we turned and, and on the screen there were people, we didn't know about this, but there were folks from each pastor's local church saying something encouraging, just speaking into them. And it only took a few minutes, like the first two people that went, it only, just, it only took a few minutes, I don't know if you've been in a situation like that where everybody's laughing that everybody's crying. It's just one of those moments where, and it occurred to me afresh, not brand new, but just afresh, that words spoken into someone's life can be so powerful. To hear, we love you and we appreciate you, we appreciate your ministry, your sacrifice, let me tell you what you've meant to me, to hear that, to hear those words spoken, and we didn't wait, we went last, they, they wanted us to go last, and it wasn't like, you know, we started crying when when it was on us, when we heard from a couple of you appreciating us, it was just just to see that happen for other people is just powerful so i'm excited the month of october i hope you can be here despite who's playing football where hope you can be here the month of october and if you're not if you cheat then uh, listen online to this series the words we speak i believe in a god who speaks i believe that god is talkative i believe that god speaks words he spoke in creation. The earth was formless and void and darkness was on the, over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and God began to speak in this triune. One God began to speak, let there be. And the rhythm, I love the Hebrew poetry in Genesis 1-2. God spoke, he said it, he saw it, it was good. God said it, he saw that it was good. Over and over, God creates this beautiful world that we live in. God speaks. He could have got out a Stanley tool set and created the universe but he chose to speak that was his medium his way to do it was to speak he speaks in creation he speaks most wonderfully in the person of Jesus Christ I love John's gospel John was an old guy when he wrote the gospel uh, his gospel about Jesus and he opens with Jesus and ends with Jesus it's all about Jesus but it takes him 17 verses to mention the name Jesus anybody know why anybody remember he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God speaking to us. And words are super powerful. Let me show you a number. 
Any guesses as to what this might be? This is the average number of words spoken in a day. Now, some of you are skewing that average greatly. 16,000, both genders. By the way, recent research is showing us that the gap between the words women use per day and men is not as great as it used to be. The gap is closing. Either women are you know, not talking as much or men are talking more or something like that or there was faulty data or the world's changing, but 16,000 words per day. Now, here's another number. Let me get this right. It's a big one. 525,600,000. That's the estimated words that you'll speak in a lifetime. Now, where the number breaks down, by the way, that's a lot, that's, that's a lot of opportunity to royally slip up, isn't it? That's a, that's a lot of words. All the words, if all the words you spoke this year were taken, recorded, it would fill 132 books. 132 books of 200 pages. A lot of opportunities to royally slip up. Where the gap is significant is between introverts and extroverts. Do you know who you are? If you're an introvert, raise your hand. Ah, there we go. Delightful little introvert back there. If you're an extrovert, raise your hand. There's a few of us. Yeah, yeah, there we go. To an introvert, you know, you talk to an introvert and sometimes it's, uh, not to stereotype, but let me stereotype, but when you talk to an introvert, it's like, you know, how was dinner? Fine. How's your family? Fine. How was the drive over? Fine. How was the funeral? Fine. Everything's fine. And what you find yourself when you talk to an introvert, it's this. Give me more. But when you talk to an extrovert, it's what? Give me the floor. Or if they're obnoxious, it's like, where's the door? But we, generally speaking, we talk a lot. What are we saying? James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. Not to give up on the sermon today, but the tongue, nobody can tame it. So question, what do you tame? What do you tame? What do, what do we tame? We tame horses and beasts of the field, right? Wild animals. When Susan had a break at this conference this week, they went north to Escondido to the wild animal park. And it was so cool. I was in sessions and meetings all that day. But later in the room that night, she was telling me about the wild animal park. And she was telling me about the cheetahs. Uh, anybody like some cheetahs? They're majestic animals. Fastest land animal, right? 65, 70 miles per hour on the continent of Africa. And she was showing me pictures of the cheetah. Do you know how you tame a cheetah? I didn't know this. You give them a golden retriever or a Labrador retriever. And so in, at, at the San Diego Wild Animal Park, every cheetah in that cheetah area has a retriever. Isn't that great? That's how they're tamed. They they're apparently are shy. They're, they're, they have high anxiety and they're, they're wild. And so they need a Labrador. So these animal experts come in and they train. So when they're young, they get a, a retriever of a certain age and that's how they're tamed. So we live in a world of great study and intellect and behavior modification. And we learn how to, how to tame things. I see a, a equestrian person here in the back of the church. You know how to, to break in a horse, to tame a horse. We, we get that. But James is saying this tongue we can't tame. An unknown author put it this way, the tongue has no bones, but it's strong enough to break a heart. You feel that? The tongue has no bones, but it's strong enough 
to break a heart. You know, not all words are equally weighted. Have you thought about that? 16,000 in a day, 525,600,000 in an average lifetime. That's a lot of words, but not all words are equally weighted. Perhaps that's why it's hard for us to forget harsh words that have been spoken to us. Perhaps that's why, correspondingly, it's easy for us to forget encouraging words that have been spoken over us. Not all words carry equal weight. And you know, the source of words is also not equally weighted. One of the roles that I play is that of boss. You get a certain age and you just stay faithful. All of a sudden you wake up and you're a boss. And a few years ago, I worked with someone. Uh, this person would tell me, hey, let, let me go talk to him. You know, you're, my words are about 50 pounds. Yours are about 150 pounds. Moms, your words weigh a lot. Mom's words are 500 pound words often. And I don't know why. I don't know why. But no words can weigh like the words of a dad. I ask you this week on Instagram to hit me up a direct message. I ask you the question, what are the hardest, harshest words that have ever been spoken to you? And many of you responded. I'll read a few. You'll never make it. You don't have the grades to get into nursing school. You're a whore. Have you ever thought about quitting? You're effing dumb. Learn some English. You're ugly fat and not popular. I don't want to hear your voice anymore. Twenty-something years ago, my sister told me, ha-ha, you can't have kids. Your job has been cut effective immediately. It's all your fault. I never loved you. You aren't allowed in this family. You're going to flip burgers for the rest of your life. You're not good enough to marry my son. It's your fault. You're worthless. You're nothing. This yelled by my father in my face when I was young. One woman wrote back that her grandmother, when she was 10 years old, told her, you look homely. Another young woman being a dancer and being body shamed endlessly, being called obese, just not good enough. Words aren't equally weighted. And why is it? We don't know fully, but it's so easy for us to remember the hurtful words. and so difficult to remember the words of encouragement. Words aren't equally weighted. The source of words aren't equally weighted. And the recovery time isn't equally weighted as well. Some of these, I, I can't read them all. I don't want to give away the source, but some of these spoken so long ago. One spoken 31 years ago. Recovery time is also not equally weighted. In a relationship or been in a relationship, when you've like, you're like looking over at that someone, you're like, I said I forgive you. I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry. But they're still hurting. 
And that would be like you and I. You and I hanging out and you're in my car and I slam your hand in my car door really good and your hand is mangled. It's bloody and it's broken. It's not going to do me that well five minutes, 50 minutes later, hour and a half later. God said, oh, sorry. You, you need some time, right? You need a doctor. You need some help. And it's going to take a while. For some reason, some of us stubbornly don't understand that that's true of us in the emotional area as well. It just takes some time. God speaks and we speak some 16,000 words a day. So many million in a lifetime. But what are we saying? Jesus, he's with a group of people. His popularity is growing and he comes upon a man who cannot see, who cannot speak, and he's demon oppressed. He's not demon possessed, but he's demon oppressed. And Jesus, in his mercy and his compassion, heals him. And this man, he who could not see, who could not speak, who was oppressed by demons, the demons leave him, his sight gets back to him, and he can speak. Now, wouldn't we all agree that's a good thing? Like the 930 crowd, they just shook their hands. Like, that's a good thing when the demons go. Isn't that good? Like, anybody for demons? Like, demons go, that's good. Couldn't see, now you can see. Couldn't speak, now he can speak. Like, everybody can celebrate that. And one of the things we learned from the life of Jesus so long ago is true today. That there's going to be some people around that when something good happens to somebody, they're, they're going to want to tear it down. It seems to always be the case when some good work of God is happening to somebody, there's going to be somebody there that's going to want to tear that down. Look at what this certain group did to Jesus. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out the demons, Matthew 12. 24. They're discrediting him. They had weapons. Their weapons weren't their fists. Their weapons were their word. And they put him down. This fellow. This fellow. They began to be concerned about this fellow and all the people that were following him and how he, by showing love and compassion, was messing up their religion. Let me just say, if, if mercy and compassion messes up your religion, you got the wrong religion. Can I say it? But somebody's, somebody's upset. And they seek to discredit this fellow by lying about the source of his power. And Jesus responds this way. He says in Matthew 12, verse 33, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruits. Let me read the last part, and you guys give me some noise if you agree with that. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You agree with that? For a tree is recognized by its fruit. What he's saying is if you come along an apple tree, you don't have to tear it open or cut it down or examine its root system. If it's an apple tree, you'll see apples hanging from the tree. And he draws an arrow between that truth and that agrarian world into our human hearts as well. He goes on in Matthew 12 and says this, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Time out. So maybe, according to Jesus, when we say, I didn't mean to say that, oops, Jesus counters that by saying, yeah, you did mean to say it. 
maybe the words that you're trying to use to get off the hook, those careless words, maybe they weren't so careless. Maybe it was deep down in you. Continue on, verse 35. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account of the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned, true or false. According to Jesus, words are a really big deal. True. Don't read that verse and make it like, a, you know, you cuss, say bad things, you go to hell. If you don't, you don't. You're good. That's not what he's saying there. But he is teaching us that this is connected to this, that the mouth is connected to the heart, and what's happening deep down inside you is the thing that matters. Now, Jesus, one of the reasons I believe in him and follow him is because he had words of hope and health, forgiveness and invitation for everybody. For the marginalized, for those others had forgotten, for those who weren't included, he included always. His words, he had hope, he had words of deliverance for those who desperately needed, desperately knew that they needed to be delivered. Only a few times were his words harsh, and they were always, always directed at those who were in the power structure, who led the power systems and who were speaking in the name of God, but their words were holding people back from the kingdom. So go ahead, Jesus, and be harsh there. Because those words bring life, and those are needed and necessary. And so to this series, in the month of October, I'm going to challenge you to stop gossiping. I just have a few minutes to do that today. I'm going to challenge you to stop complaining, to stop criticizing, to even stop exaggerating lying but here's what I don't want that to be borrowing this teaching from Jesus because here's what I know in life you know it too you look the part act the part talk the part but if God has never gotten a hold of your heart you're not going to go far are you and it's easy for us to do that to look the part act the part and talk the part I've got a friend he's a great guy but he was a pastor and just, he had the job of a pastor, but he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't called to do it. It affected him. It affected his health. It affected his family, wife and children. It affected us. It, it was a difficult relationship. Time and time again, I, I learned painfully that it wasn't in him. Great guy, just not a pastor. It's hard to fake. If I, put on a pair of basketball shorts and showed you my bird legs, my very pale white bird legs, and laced up some Air Jordans and walked 150 yards across the parking lot to our gym where they're putting on a brand new floor. Yeah. Yes. It'll take a few weeks, okay? They got a level, do a lot of work. But if I went over there and tried to hoop it up with some of you, you're going to find out, man, I could talk the part, maybe act the part, but it's, it's really not in me. In fact, I can't dribble with my left hand. I've, when I played basketball, guys would, I've been on the basketball court, and guys have called me out 
They've, they've shouted it out. He's got no left. He's got no left. Then they D me up. I got to pass the ball. I'm a liability. I'm a liability in basketball. It's not in me. Jesus is saying to us, and so I want to say it today, please don't live here to leave here today or any of these weeks or listen online later and think, oh, you know, stop gossiping, stop complaining, stop criticizing, stop exaggerating. Like it's some just, you know, you can do it by trying harder. Again, nobody, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says nobody can tame the tongue. You can't do it on your own, and it's not going to work to try harder to, to look the part, act the part, talk the part. God has to do some business in your heart. So I want you to keep that in mind as we talk. So, who gossips? Is it a problem? Let me give you a working definition of a gossip. Gossip, or what a gossip is, it's words spoken behind someone's back because of their harmful nature. Here's our passage today. I didn't ask you to turn. I should have. But Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 28. Proverbs 16, 28. And here it comes on the screen. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisper separates close friends. Now most English translations here, instead of whisper, it says that word gossip. But you see, that's what a gossip is. A gossip is not shouting it from the rooftop. It's not proclaiming it on a megaphone. It's not posting it on Facebook. It's talking about someone when they're not in the room. And so the tone is a whispered tone. And notice the damage that it causes. You know, honestly, we don't need a Bible verse, do we? To know the damage that gossip caused. But let's look at the Bible verse again. It spreads strife and it separates close friends. And so I wonder why we're drawn to do it. Any guesses? Why would we gossip if it spreads strife and separates close friends? Here's my take. Here's my offering. I think we choose to gossip when we do choose to gossip. It gives us this fleeting, temporary feeling of superiority. Oh. And then it takes away the energy, time, and effort that you need and I need to be about the refinement of our own life and our own growth and our own character. So for gossip to take place, gossip is what? We got a good working definition. I asked the 930 crowd, there was some discrepancy. Does go- is gossip true or is gossip false? Talk to me. All right, we'll, we'll go with that. We'll broaden our definition. Brent's on the front row. He's a bigger guy. We'll go with what Brent said. Uh, it's both. It could be both. But, but a lot of study I've done, that they, they differentiate gossip, gossip with slander. That slander is just straight up, you know, you just told a lie. But gossip um, many times can be true, or it's partially true. Some gossip that's hurt me the most not too long ago was gossip that was partially true. Someone knew something. They knew just a little bit. They had just enough information for it to be all the more painful. And then they used that and it stung. It spread strife and separated close friends. So gossip at its essence is it's harmful. And there's this, let's just let this weigh on us for a moment. Because all of us, all of us need to hear it. There's a perverse pleasure, a temporary, fleeting feeling of superiority. 
that we derive when we gossip. What's necessary for gossip? Stating the obvious, you need to have a gossip speaker. The gossip speaker is the one who says it. And then you need an accomplice in the crime. You need a gossip hearer. Consider the wisdom of the Bible again, Proverbs 17 and verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Takes two, at least two, to do that. Now when we gossip, often gossip begins in church with what? Two words, say it. A prayer request. Absolutely. Thank you. That's Emily Harden, one of our pastor's wives. But it begins with a prayer request. And Emily knows, and you know, don't act like you don't know. Hey, let's, let's pray for Bob and Sue uh, for their marriage. Now, if you cared about Bob and Sue's marital struggle, you probably should be talking to God about that privately or to a counselor that can help them. But when you bring that up as a prayer request, there could be a great likelihood that there's a feeling of superiority that you're stimulating in you. Oh, you know, you heard about Carolyn, you know, the 18-year-old, she's going buck wild, but, at, you know, pr- pray for her. That's, it's her father, man. He's never there. Let's pray that her dad will be there and be a more positive influence. A fleeting feeling of superiority, not an actual prayer request. And I want to say this. Men, we tend to think this is a woman's deal only. And it's not. And I know with men, it's, here's, it's common for men. We've got to put a little swag, a little bravado in it. But it's common for a man to, to drop something, to, to, to say something harmful in nature. And then we, what we do, we kind of take a step back. We drop the bomb and step back and we go, man, I'm, I just call it like a, I just, you know, I just say it like I see it, man. Call it like a, call the shots, like, a, you know. And it's some of that, like, oh, you know, and then we, you know, we're left thinking, oh, okay, you know, he just said something really ugly about somebody. He just dropped a strong opinion that's going to spread strife and separate friends. But, man, he's, he, that guy's real. That's what I like about him. He just, man, he just, yeah, he just speaks it, man. That's what we need more of in, in America. We need more of that in America. That's a man. I'll vote for that guy. But we're all guilty. There's a stereotype, it's the ladies at the beauty salon. Now y'all know I don't go anywhere to get my hair cut, but I'm just telling you, men talk too. We just put a little swag to it. And when you gossip, and when I gossip, it often begins with, did you hear? Here's one for you. You ever had somebody do this to you? Hey, you didn't hear this from me, but... Now I'm a fairly intelligent guy. And I'm like, you, I just heard it from you. So that little thing you said, but it's harmful. You need a speaker, the Bible tells us, and you need a, you need a gossip hearer as well. And are we an accomplice to that? Let me give you three things biblically to grow in this area. The first is this, it's to get a mirror. Now, what do you know about a mirror? A mirror's job is to interpret what it sees. The problem with a mirror is it's so darn honest. I know there's those trick mirrors at the carnival. I think there's some trickeration happening in retail. I didn't study enough about that, but I I know I look a little better sometimes when I'm thinking about buying something. But a, a mirror, 
for the most part. Its job is to interpret what it sees. And the problem with the mirror is it's so darn honest. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would say to early followers of Jesus, he would say, uh, if, you're, if you're hearing the word and you're not applying it in your life, you're like someone who looks in a mirror and you, you, you see the reflection and then you walk away and you forget what you saw. And Jesus put it this way, if your propensity, tendency to talk about others when they're not in the room... Listen, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your, own, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the blank in your own? Go ahead, Jesus. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? I just wonder. I wonder if you spent, you and I spent time genuinely identifying, recognizing, confessing, repenting, and dealing with our sin. Would we have any time to gossip? You know, I think about words. I was thinking about this just literally in between the services. And I was thinking about, you know, the the greatest words I can speak are the words of the gospel, the good news over everybody. To speak of the greatness of God. And maybe the second best thing I can do is to remind you and others often, my family and other people around me, man, I don't have it together and I've got sin, I've got stuff. Pray for me and my character. I want to become more and more like Christ. And I'm busy with those two things. I don't know that I have that much time to talk about your stuff. Anybody with me there? So let's, let's get a mirror. That's what the Bible teaches. The second thing, uh, borrowing this, assume the best. Last year I was at Catalyst Conference in Atlanta and heard a speaker talk about this very thing. This speaker talked about how all of us live with expectations. We have an expectation in the relationship. We have an expectation of how church was going to go if I go there. We have an expectation about what's going to happen later. We have all these expectations. And so we expect something from the people that we love. And then we have the experience with the people that we love. And I love life when it just lines up. You know, when people tell you they love you and you experience that. When you, you come to church, you want it to be good and it's good. And when you, you know, go hang out with friends and it's, it's, just, it's just good. The, I love it when everything lines up and what I expected, what I experienced is just so close there. But often there's a gap between what we expect and what we experience. And here's the question. What do you do in your relationships when you have a gap between what you expect and what you experience. You have a couple of choices there. You can you can suspect the worst or you can assume the best. And I want to ask you to make that question a personal question right here. Ask yourself do you by nature suspect the worst or assume the best? If you're in a family, in a marriage certainly, on a team, I mean, I can tell about our teammates here. I can, you can tell if someone by nature assumes the best or they expect the worst. It's how you were brought up. It's whether you've been betrayed painfully. It's whether you genuinely have a natural inclination to trust people. Now, let's be honest, this isn't necessarily moral, but how many of you, you're by nature, you kind of suspect the worst a lot? Be, be honest. Do you have a sense of like, of, yeah, I mean, oftentimes the brightest people in the room are those who are suspecting stuff, okay? How many of you, you by nature, you tend to assume the best in people? If they're late, you're like, hey, it was traffic, they're not trying to hurt us, they're not, it's, they're not perpetually a bad person, they're not trying to disrupt the team, they're, you just assume the best. 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter, you know, says this, it always protects love, that is, we're talking about love. Love always protects, and it always what? 
It always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. If you're a parent, look at me, listen to me now. This is so powerful. It's so powerful in the life of your kids to trust them and to show them that you do and to assume the best in them. You'll need to do it by faith sometime. Don't be stupid. I'm not telling you to be stupid. But to get out in front and kids, there's something in human nature that just wants to rise to the occasion when you're loved, genuinely loved. And Paul is saying, you're not genuinely loving somebody if you don't trust. So in that gap between what you expect and what you experience, what are you doing there? When they're not around, how are you talking about them? The third thing, besides get a mirror, assume the best, is, I know this is a sentence fragment, never about, always to. One of the reasons I follow Jesus is His teaching is masterful. And if all the world would live according to Jesus, it'd be called heaven. And Jesus taught us in Matthew 18, and how often do we violate this, and it runs rampant in churches. God, help us. Is we got a problem with somebody, and we go all around them, and what we're doing is we're always about, and we're never We're talking about them, but not to them. In fact, churches have something called leadership. And it's the leadership that can do something about the problem always. And so to talk to the leaders, I want to tell you, if, if anybody needs to talk, leaders are not mind readers. We need to know. We need to know. Come to us and talk to us directly. It is so powerful. I'm watching a relationship. I don't know if they'll get the momentum to move forward, but I know that somebody held on to something and talked to 16 different people before they went to them, and they did eventually go to them, but that's not what Jesus says in Matthew 18. He's like, no, stop, and go right to that person. How good is that? Go right to that person. Well, i got to vent. I need to vent. I need to gain strength. I need to gather momentum. I need to... No, you don't. You don't. Just go straight to them. So, quickly, we tend to think of our sin like we kind of uh, grade it, don't we? Y'all grade sin like sort of what Jesus talked about in Matthew 7. Quickly, let me go back to this uh, idea of Proverbs 26, 20. I didn't put that verse up. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. Now, I hear we got some cool weather coming. I hear a week from tonight it's going to be 47 degrees. Yeah, we go, yeah, there is a God. And there will be a fire, right? And it's going to need some wood. And the wisdom in the Bible and Proverbs is saying that that's what gossip is with a quarrel. And if you don't keep repeating it and talking about it, it'll die down. So we tend to think of sin this way. We've kind of put it on a pyramid. I got the wrong marker. We put it on a pyramid and we sort of, you know, we kind of grade our sin, don't we? Don't act like you don't. We grade our sin and then, you know, at the bottom, tier one, we'll call it, is let's just say that's kind of the small stuff. So that's like, um, that is like a white lie. Yeah, it didn't hurt anybody. Just a little small thing. Uh, y'all know one of my weaknesses, sometimes I dismiss it too easily. Let's say driving too fast or speeding. That's not a big sin. 
Then we have other things. Uh, maybe we got drunk. Maybe we uh, betrayed somebody, like we really hurt somebody. In fact, we even meant to hurt them. We betrayed them. It's a big deal. And then there's some sins, let's say murder and adultery. Whew. Those are big things. Not a big deal, dismiss them, do them all the time. Yeah, it's got to deal with this. And then this is, ooh, ooh, big stuff. Negotiating political negotiations with the Ukrainian leaders somewhere here, up here, I guess. But here's the problem. The problem is we put gossip here. And we say, it's not a big deal. And Scripture says, it's a big deal. I say shatter the, tier, the pyramid, shatter the tier system. And I don't want to stand in front of you today acting like I speak the oracles of God and know some fancy rating system or whatever. I know there are six things, Proverbs 6 the Bible says God hates. Seven are an abomination to Him. And lying, gossip, and slander are among those things. And so we do wrong when we put, them, when we put it at the bottom of the list. It's a big deal. Proverbs 16, 28 says it spreads strife. It separates friends. And I would add a third. It destroys our witness. If on one hand you're evangelizing, and on the other hand you're gossiping, and you invite someone to church and you wonder why they don't want to come with you. Because we don't want to be a part of that. That's not what we want to be a part of. People want to be a part of what is real, of what is authentic, of what is inspiring. And that's where we need to follow our Savior who constantly was looking for those who felt left out, for those who weren't included, for those who were on the margin. He's speaking love and hope and healing and deliverance into their lives. So I want you, as we close, to pray with me. And before I say a prayer aloud, I want you to close your eyes if it helps you to bow your head and to ask God how you, you might apply this today. Maybe it's more of Him and less of you and you giving Him everything, yea, you giving Him your mouth. I will say confessionally as a man of many words, I've seen refinement in my life. Would you put that before God today? If you know that gossip spreads strife and separates friends, destroys your witness. Ask God to teach you personally that that temporary fleeting feeling of superiority is really not worth it. Would you surrender that chemical reaction, that rush of dopamine and pleasure to Jesus that you get when you get to talk about somebody else? Let us all, as a people, let us all make the confession that we don't want to just act the part, dress the part, 
talked apart without God getting a hold of our hearts. And that's what He does to everyone that would yield. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray over us.